guys, it's not as fun today. <laughs> it's not a musical. We've done musicals all month long, but and this isn't even really a Bible story. We're kind of just calling back to Exodus today, <laughs> like we did in the Prince of Egypt at the beginning of the month. Guys, we've been singing the praises of the Bible stories all month long. It's time to get into some debunking stuff. Quite literally singing the praises. <laughs> We're not singing any praises today. No! <laughs> We're dealing with facts and evidence today. Or are we? <laughs> It depends on what you believe, man. I don't know. Welcome back to Kicking In Streaming, where we've got 10 plagues and 10 scientific explanations. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2007 silly sea thriller known as The Reaping. Oh my god, is it silly and badly edited. <laughs> it is. Someone called the CGI department. <laughs> Stephen Hopkins, what's going on? Oh my god. Now, guys, last coverage for Bible Stories Month. It's not really a Bible story, but we are bookending the final month's coverage with a story that relates back to Exodus. Indeed, indeed. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. If you guys aren't on the Patreon already at the 5, we would love to have you. Guys, for just $5 a month, you can get access to all of our bonus content. We're doing long form. We're doing bonus episodes. We're doing TV. We're doing some things outside the timeline. Maybe some special episodes for you. Yeah. Ooh, later in the year when we actually are doing long form. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, I'm living. Yeah, we've got plans for long oh, form. Oh, and you guys are going to hate it. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. Carrie's going to hate it the most. <laughs> I really am. She's going to be giving me a gift by covering HBO's John Adams this summer. <laughs> I can't wait. Guys, before we get started, just real quick. Trigger warning for suicide and rape and rape, like and it, Christianity, like it's Ross, <laughs> sorry, Ross McDougal and Satanism and Satanism yeah, too and Satanism as well. You're right, but just just be forewarned going forward, guys. It's gonna be fun, but there is that element to it. So buckle the fuck up. God has sent me a message. What happened? Catherine, you're gonna think I'm crazy. He wants me to warn you. I believe you're in danger. Catherine, this is Doug Blackwell. Professor? I'm from a place called Haven. I'm hoping you can help us without problem. Folks are worried that this is a plague. As in Old Testament plague? I've investigated 48 miraculous occurrences with 48 scientific explanations. I understand you're not much of a Bible reader. Some folks just don't want to go to heaven. There's things going on now. You just better prepare yourself. Is it blood? The whole damn river. The folks in town think there might be nine more plagues on the way. My baby? No. 
Catherine, what are you doing? Ending this. Guys, there's something about a Village Roadshow picture <laughs> that has me living. We've done some Village Roadshow pictures on here before. Uh, I think Silent Hill was Village Roadshow. We did that way early on. That was our first Halloween, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Stephen Hopkins is here directing today. <laughs> you might know him from blockbuster hits like Nightmare on Elm Street 5 <laughs> or Predator 2. I feel like this might be his most successful project. And Stephen, that's saying something? <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. I really do like this movie. I don't think it's that bad. You know what? What do I know? How many scripts have I written? Right. How many films have I directed? You know, like... Exactly. I really feel like this movie got panned as bad as it did because of the Christian right. You know what? This is also a valid argument. Yeah, like... (laughs) (laughs) This is also a valid argument. But Carrie, did you watch the movie? I did. (laughs) Did you watch it? Because some of these shots in this movie make no sense. No, they're laughable. Like, they're weird. Like... It's like in panning shots where it'll just pan away to a blank patch of grass (laughs) or pan away to the dirt. And you're like, why is this here? It's edited poorly. It is. I I need to... Colby Parker Jr. and Todd Fuhrman, they are the editors on this film. You need to come on the show and have a talk, guys. (laughs) We just want to talk. We we just want to talk. We just want to talk to you. The way this made $22 million. You sound surprised. Carrie, this is silly and you know it. Oh, no. Like, here's the thing. I have always thought of this movie as incredibly interesting simply because it offered an explanation for the 10 plagues of Exodus that I'd never heard before. But overall, the film did rather poorly. It has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, based on 134 reviews, (laughs) an average rate of 3.9, which accompanied by the consensus of it may feature such accomplished actors as Hilary Swank and Stephen Ray, but the reaping also boasts the apropos tag Line, what hath God wrought? It is schlockly, spiritually shallow, and scare free. Schlockly? Schlockly. That's the word wow. that they use. Okay, damn. They're using words I've never even heard before. Academy Award winner Hillary Swank, guys. Oh, God. You know what? I'm just taking this right because we've got to get through this. We, we've got names, okay? Yeah, no, guys. <laughs> th- this movie is not very deep. There's not a lot to talk about. We Have Names is going to be very short this week because we've only got a couple to talk about. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Swanky. Yes. Hillary Swank herself. She was with us when we did Iron John Angels. Mm -hmm. She was also with us when we did Deconstructing White Savior Movies in 2020. She was in Freedom Riders. She's also a million dollar baby. Boys don't cry. She is playing... Catherine Winter, our protagonist today. I think it's funny that people get Hillary Swank confused with uh, Julia Roberts. <laughs> no, Ross, do you have any idea what I almost did when I was taking my notes? What? I almost wrote down that Hillary Swank was with us in Valentine's Day. She was not. She wasn't. It was <laughs> Julia Roberts. Oh my good grief. Folks, please welcome to Kicking and Streaming discount Liam Neeson himself, Mr. David Morrissey. Yes, he is playing Doug Blackwell. He last week I referred to him as the sheriff 
from Walking Dead. I was totally wrong. He's the governor from Walking Dead. He's done lots of Shakespeare. He was Little John in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You know, the bad Kevin Cosner movie. Yeah. Uh, please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Idris Elba. Oh, God. Has he been with us on the show before? I don't think so. He is playing Ben today. Ben doesn't get a last name. Why doesn't Ben get a last name? I mean, listen, the short... Why is the one black character not get a last name? That was going to be my explanation. (laughs) Like... Is because he's black and the white writer didn't care enough to give him a last name. Idris Elba is famous for The Wire. He's the titular character in Luther, which I... I think is a cop drama. I've never seen it. Guys, he played Mandela. Yes, he did. In Long Walk to Freedom. And he's an American gangster. Thor Ragnarok, which was an amazing movie. Zootopia. He's in a lot of stuff, guys. He's also an acclaimed DJ. Yes, he is. <laughs> which I love that. DJ Big Driss. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> He is my favorite to be the new James Bond if they ever decide they want to do oh, that he again. Needs to be. We need a black James Bond. Are absolutely. you kidding me? Absolutely. We absolutely cannot forget about Idris Elba's portrayal of Charles Minor on NBC's The Office. <laughs> which I mean, yeah, Charles Minor's a fuck, but I like that arc. I do. I, I like what uh Dunner Mifflin is a part of Sabre. Saber. <laughs> <laughs> I am aware of the effect I have on women. I am very well aware of the effect he has on women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Carrie was uh, a little jumpy while we were watching this movie. (laughs) He's so fine! Please welcome the bridge to Terabithia herself. Stop. Anna Sophia Robb. You might know her as the bridge in the bridge to Terabithia. That is not what her character is. Did she play the bridge or did she play Terabithia? (laughs) Wasn't she the bridge? No. Doesn't she collapse and die at the end? Stop. Oh, that's not what happens, is it? Anna Sophia Robb is playing Lauren McConnell today. Well, she was also Violet Beauregard in the bad Tim Burton remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. She was also in Because of Wind Dixie, (laughs) Race to Witch Mountain, Soul Surfer. She's Mm -hmm. also in... (sighs) <sighs> the act <laughs> as Lacey. Carrie, guys, Carrie really is trying to get me to watch the act with her, but it makes me so uncomfy. But she's countering me with the fact that I made her watch The Handmaid's Tale with me. And they're both brutal and make us both uncomfortable in different ways. <sighs> it's going to happen to me whether I like it or not. It really is. She's going to force me to watch the act after we after we record this. So pray for me. Some other honorable mentions. We've got uh, Stephen Ray. He's playing uh, Father Michael Costigan today. Yeah, he's in lots of British stuff, but the v for Am- Vendetta. Yeah, the American audience will recognize him principally from V for Vendetta. He's that guy. He's the cop with the really low speaking voice. Oh, okay. Filming principally took place near Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh yeah, we're in uh, we're in L.A. <laughs> We are in Louisiana. Yes, we are. Dubai, you. Oh, got so many scenic locations for this shoot. It's so pretty down there. I wish it wasn't filled with such evil energy. I know. <laughs> you I, know what I mean? I know exactly what you're talking about. You know this is written by siblings? Is it really? Harry and Chad Hayes wrote this together. No! A sibling writing team. Why are we not writing movies? Because if we were to try to write something together... 
oh, I feel like when we hit disagreements, they'd be heated. You know what I mean? I <laughs> yeah. feel like we're both so passionate about our own visions yeah. that they would be conflicting. Oh, boy. And then we'd have to part for creative differences. But here's the thing. Who would be the Ben Affleck of the duo? <laughs> the way he dropped the phone. Because I know... I know you're talking about me. <laughs> because you'd definitely be the Matt Damon and I'd definitely be the Ben Affleck. Ross, you know that. Will in- you put my name on that too? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, you I know- gave you the idea. You know that I would never realistically compare you to Ben Affleck, okay? I have way more respect for you than that. JLo, run. <laughs> Do you know he proposed? Oh, no. He proposed to J-Lo in the bathtub. Stop. It's cute, right? But Ben Affleck sucks. <laughs> J-Lo, call Jennifer Garner. <laughs> he was on the Jennifer Garner show for 18 years. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> Hashtag waste her time 2018 years. No. We have to start. I know we, we do. We have to. This movie is bananas. Okay, so we open it up with Father Michael Corrigan. Not Michael Corrigan. Michael Corrigan's a character from House of Cards. We open up with Father (laughs) Michael Costigan being awoken in the middle of the night by some creepy feelings. He's got a picture of our heroine, Catherine. I was like, when I was first watching it, I was like, why does he have so many pictures of her? Like, at first I was like, I couldn't, when I watched the movie again, I couldn't remember who the character was. I was like, is he like her dad her like somebody and then i was like oh it's the priest yeah father costigan was a priest that Catherine went on a mission with to the sudan and that's why he has so many pictures of her but all of the pictures of Catherine have suddenly burst into flame it's been happening over and over again like but they're just burning out her face yeah from the pictures it's creepy supernatural happenings and in a very charlie day way He assembles the photos together in a pattern that forms a burnt-in, upside-down sickle. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, what does that mean? You know what I immediately thought? I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Hook. Yeah. Hook. (laughs) Hook. (laughs) And, like, we are not going to get more on that until later. Yeah. I almost wanted to skip the beginning because it's almost inconsequential to the rest of the movie. But then we get transported to Concepcion in Chile. Yeah. uh, Guys, I will say this on behalf of the Chileans in the world. Like, the mayor of this city formally objected to the producers of the film over its portrayal of the city in the opening scene. She pointed out that rather than being the dirty, underdeveloped, tropical city that's shown in the movie, it's actually, like, a very thriving community. Well, this film was made by white Brits and white Americans. Yeah. So, this is where I first wrote, this film is poorly edited, because we get this cool, like, long shot of the Chilean coast at Concepcion, but... But, like, the building that they're zooming into is quite laughably not the same location when they transfer into live action. Like, it's obviously not a monastery. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
so who have we got here? We've got Catherine Winter and her assistant, Ben. Catherine Winter is a professor of, I believe, religious studies. Swanky. Yeah, she's a professor of religious studies at a Louisiana college. And Ben, Idris Elba, is her former grad student TA turned assistant. Mm -hmm. And they are here in Chile because there have been a rash of religious happenings in this community. People are seeing things at this monastery, claiming to hear God and like having visions and fits. Everybody's sick. And Catherine and Ben have been called here to find a scientific explanation for these happenings. This is what they do. They they investigate supposed religious miracles. Yeah. A- around the world. And what they what the main thing going on here is is that there's been an earthquake here quite recently. And in the bowels of this monastery, there is a tomb that has been broken open. And it is the body of a priest that's been dead for 40 years that is Perfectly preserved, as if he died yesterday. It's really creepy. Yeah, but these people who are sick believe that being around this preserved body is a miracle that will save them from their illness. You know the thing that makes me gag? I do know the thing that makes you gag because it made me gag. Okay, so Catherine and Ben are down there in gas masks, right? Yes. Because they don't know what's going on. And they're watching all these people go up to this priest's corpse and pray over it. There's this old woman (gasps) with a very young child. No! The young child is obviously very sick. And the woman wipes her finger (gasps) across the corpse. And she puts her finger covered in sweat from the corpse. (laughs) I know. I know it's bad. I I know it's bad. She puts her finger up to this child's mouth. She's going to try and bless her. And Catherine is like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Swanky's like, don't put that in her mouth. You'll make her more sick. And I guess she doesn't speak Spanish, so she has to have Ben translate. The woman literally says, only the devil will try to stop God's miracle. Solo el diablo. Trataría de impedir el milagro de Dios. What'd she say? She thinks you're the devil. Tell her I don't believe in him either. Oh. And I'm like, okay, all right, we get it. So Catherine's obviously a person who's lost her faith. She was an ordained minister. Yeah, she was. Not no more. Not no more. And put a pin in it. (laughs) We will get more on that later. But she notices that there is a huge crack underneath his tomb that shit is coming out of. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what's through here? So they find their way into the bowels of this monastery. And they're going through all these tunnels. And they come into this like chamber where all of this brown goo is oozing down from a trap door in the ceiling. And Catherine, who fears no one... And nothing. And nothing, (laughs) is crawling up this ladder, opens the trap door, and it empties out in a toxic waste runoff. Like, these people 
in hazmat suits are like manhandling her, like trying to like capture her, and she's frantically taking pictures with her camera of all of the toxic waste that's piled up everywhere. And then we cut to Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, where Catherine and Ben are giving a lecture to a class. This is literally a lecture called Faith versus Science, Debunking Modern Miracles. And like, she's blaming all of this religious activity on the toxic chemicals that have been dumped into the area. Let's let the professor speak. (laughs) You're right. Let's let her explain it. In this case, ethanol and methanol mixed with the aromatic compound DMSO and benzene seeped out after an earthquake running off into the sewer system below the monastery, the fumes of which has the dual effect of preserving human tissue and, if inhaled, creating intense hallucinatory effects. Throw in a population economically deprived enough to believe in almost anything, and you've got yourself a miracle. She can pretty much explain away anything. She has investigated 48 miraculous events in her career and has been able to come up with scientific explanations for all 48 of them. The only miracle is that people keep believing. That's the thing. That's why I don't think this movie did very well. No Christian or any religious person really likes having their faith explained away by science because it makes them feel dumb, right? (laughs) Yeah. It makes them feel like they were fools for believing in the first place. I love how she's like, that's all for today. Go Tigers and pulls up the LSU mascot. And some guy in the back goes, they really need a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's that movie's vague attempt at humor. So Catherine goes back up to her office and she gets a call from Father Costigan. They used to work together. She ignores him a majority of the time. (laughs) She doesn't really like hearing from him for a very specific reason, which we, uh, like I said, get more on later. He drags up big, devastating memories for her of her mission in the Sudan. And here's the thing. Costigan is really just trying to warn her that he's been seeing some spooky shit happen with the photographs of her in his room at the monastery. When he's like, I think you may be in danger. And she's like, no, no, I'm not in danger. You're crazy. Have a good day. (laughs) In every photo I have of you, your face is burnt. It happened in front of my eyes. What happened? I think God has sent me a message. He wants me to warn you. If God was going to send me a warning, he should have done it a long time ago. I understand why you stopped believing. You've lost so much. The the upside down sickle thing, he's like, it must mean you're in danger. And she's like, nope, you're you're making things up again, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) See, I knew we'd get a musical reference in here somehow. This is where I, thank you. (laughs) This is where I wrote, something fucked up happened in Africa. The way she hangs up and starts having her little flashbacks. Oh, the trauma. Yeah. I like with the picture, like the flashes of the little girl and the death all throughout that part of Sudan. Listen, guys, 
Sudan is not a country that is often discussed in uh, industrialized nations. You want to know why? Because people like Sudan the way that it is, dependent on the rest of the world. Oh, no. It is a trap for colonialist mission work. You know what I mean? Exactly. And uh, the Sudan is not painted well in this movie at all, which is one of the major problems I have with this movie. I mean, God, I mean, people do mission work all over the world, and whether they're actually helping or not, you know, it's still kind of a problem. A lot of areas of the world where mission work happens very heavily are places where God is, tr- they're trying to impose God in an institutional way. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to erode the faith of the indigenous people. Now we meet Doug Blackwell, who has come to the college to visit Catherine to ask for her help. He's like, we've got plagues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catherine, this is Doug Blackwell. Professor, I hope I'm not interrupting him. No. Doug says he has a problem you might be able to help us with. Could Doug explain it on the way to my next class? Sure. He's part of a small community in Louisiana called Haven, the best kept secret in the Bible Belt. (laughs) <laughs> According to this British man's uh, southern accent. We need to talk about it. Can we talk about it right now? Yeah, let's talk about it. David Morrissey. Hi. <laughs> You're speaking to him directly? I just wanted to tell you, bud. <laughs> I noticed you're British. <laughs> you are not from the bayou. <laughs> I legitimately thought you were Liam Neeson for five seconds. <laughs> We can hear it, dude. Like, I'm sorry about your casting. When I read on his page that he was regarded as one of the most versatile actors in Great Britain, I was like, wow, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, but it's In Great Britain. Yeah, it's not coming through in the American cinema. This town that he's from called Haven, he's like a town council member. And, like, it's definitely a town that is still fire and brimstone, full of religious fundamentalists. Some of the fellas were out fishing on the river. Water kind of went red on it. Dark red. Like blood. That's what it looked like. Well, when I'm called in, there's usually a religious angle. Well, that's why I'm here. Some of the folks in town are worried that this is a sort of plague. His town's river has turned red, like the first plague of Exodus, right? It turns out it's actually just Mountain Dew Code Red. Stop! (laughs) Mountain Dew Code Red. No. (laughs) The best way to contract red poisoning. The townsfolk are blaming the river turning red on this little girl named Lauren McConnell, whose big brother died the day that the river turned red. And the whole town is thinking she killed her brother and somehow, on her own, turned the river red. Society will do anything to blame the problems of the world on women. Oh my god! Even a defenseless, helpless little girl. Anyway, so they go to Haven, right? They're going They're going to investigate. Yeah. The multiple shots of Ben blowing stop signs. <laughs> uh, you can count three, Carrie. I know. Three stop signs he blows. Because we're. Pr- it's a production, right? We don't have to mind the stop signs. <laughs> we have the streets closed down. This is St. Francisville, Louisiana that they're filming in, by the way. And I just love it because Ben turns on the car radio and the radio DJ is like, Jesus is the food on your table and the gas in your car. <laughs> He's the beer in your bottle and the bullets in your gun. And I'm like, oh man, we are down here. <laughs> My goodness. Town is weird as fuck. It's like the dairy of Louisiana. Just a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a little cute. Like there's people 
people. There's parents washing their kids' hair in metal wash tubs in the front yard. Yeah. There's no cell service. This is a one-stop light town for sure. I love the sign that's in this town that says, What are you waiting for? The Lord don't have all day. When they get there, they're greeted by this local pregnant woman. Her name's Isabel. She doesn't get a last name. Well, come on now. Let's park this thing out the sun. Yeah, she's all sweet tea and crawfish. Like, (laughs) my good grief. Thanks for meeting us. Oh, well, don't thank me. You are doing us a big old favor. I tell you something, this town ain't seen nothing like this. First the McConnell boy and then the river. We all swim in it. Hank, look, he's my eldest. That's him over there with his daddy. Hey, baby. Hey, how you doing, babe? Fun. And, like, she's pointing out her family, her oldest son, who just bought a ski-doo, whatever the fuck that is. And Catherine looks at her and is like, what's the gender of your child? And she goes, oh, hell, don't matter to me. Put a pin in that! Put a huge pin in that! The other thing about this community is that it has the most lightning strikes to the ground in three parishes. So much so that they've become famous for these... Wind chimes, which I know how much Ross loves wind chimes, but these wind chimes (laughs) of what's called fulgurite, which is what happens when lightning strikes sand. It's really cool. It is really cool. It forms like these glass shards. You know, I did not know until now. I was today years old when I realized that glass is made from sand. (laughs) Yes, dear. How? (laughs) Because- I, I, I can remember being a kid staring in that long mirror we had in the bathroom and going- how do they make this? Like, <laughs> I'm picturing pouring some hot liquid substance into a tray and it for- it forms into glass, but like, it's sand? <laughs> yes, it is. Sorry, you learn something new every day, I swear. Catherine and Ben go with Doug to the river to take samples of the water. Like, the entire river is red. Listen, if it were blood, wouldn't they be able to smell it? I mean, you would think, right? Or is all the bog of the bayou overpowering the smell of the blood? It's really hard to know, but regardless of whether or not it's actually blood, they're going to go out there with waders on. It's not a scented medium. <laughs> we can, we don't know. Like, the fish have died. They're bubbled up to the surface. It really does look biblical. And here's the thing. We get that aerial shot of the river as they take off on the fan boat. They really did turn this whole river red. I hope that didn't... (sighs) I know. I have the same thing in my notes. I'm like, I'm hoping it was like with Kool-Aid powder or something. No, not even that. I hope it was just with... Why couldn't... They They really turned it red? It really looks that way. It's not post. Like, I I was not able to find any research about whether or not this was done in post. It better be post-production. It looks a little too good because the editing in this movie is terrible. (laughs) Like, I'm really hoping they didn't harm the wildlife. That's the thing. If they put Kool-Aid powder in the river, that's fucking evil. Like, Mm. I say evil. We commit acts of evil against the planet every day. But, like, that's just really bad. Don't kill all those fishies to make your movie. Catherine wades out into the water and goes to take pictures of this tree. Not me. <laughs> Not you. You ain't getting me out there in any kind of wader. <laughs> I'd drop every single piece of important technology right in the water. I will not be blamed for that. She's taking these pictures of this tree, and she's surprised when this little girl just pops out of the tree trunk. Ah! The flashback kid! <laughs> it's the flashback kid! Get in the tree! 
This is Lauren. Yeah, this is Lauren McConnell, the one that the entire town is blaming the river on, right? Her older brother died the day the river turned red. And like Anna Sophia Robb has no lines in all of this movie. Like she has one line at the end. And like well, two. Yeah, two lines. You're right. You're right. <laughs> she has two separate pieces of dialogue. But for the most part, she's just here to be a silent, anxious figure. And like the way she's holding her finger to her lips. She's like, don't give me away. Yeah, don't give me away. Don't let anyone know where I am. And she just runs off. And this is where we start to learn from Doug that Lauren and her family are social outcasts. Doug describes them as degenerates in the eyes of the community because Lauren's mother is a single welfare mother who lets her kids run wild. Like, knock it the fuck off. Do you know where state-sanctioned welfare leads to, Carrie? Where? The devil. Oh, my God. (laughs) What does everyone have against these people? A single welfare mom letting their kids run wild? Doesn't exactly fit the town's self-image. Where's the father? Brody's dad drove his truck off the causeway. Lauren's father was a traveling preacher. Really? Covered wagon or tent? <laughs> no, I, uh, I think it was a Pontiac. <laughs> Doug and Catherine are walking through the bog, and they come up on these ruins, which are the remains of the original haven when it was originally settled. It's a church. Yeah, it's a church. That should tell you everything, right? Yeah. That the only building in the original haven was a church. What happened to this place, Gary? Like, there were like three hurricanes in three years, and it basically wiped the old haven off the map. And so the survivors were forced to like, you know, go a couple more feet above sea level and establish a new community. And like, Catherine is picking through this fire pit that looks like it's been recently used. It's got animal bones in it. Like somebody sacrificed something there. She picks up that jawbone, and then all of the insects go quiet. And I'm like, what'd she do? Put it back. (laughs) Put that back. Cut to Ben, who's still wading around trying to take samples of the river in the water, and then plop, froggies start raining from the sky. You guys remember that, right? Like the second plague of Exodus? Ben gets on the phone and he says, hey. Uh, Girl, there's frogs. (laughs) You're going to want to come see this. Girl, we got plagues. Get over here. And Catherine insists that the frogs are dying because of the pH levels in the water, right? Exactly. They're going to overnight samples of the frog corpses and of the river water to the lab they have at the university to confirm that that's in fact what it is. And so Doug offers Ben and Catherine quarter at his big, ugly plantation mansion. Barf. Yeah, he's the only one who lives here, right? It's beautiful. From a ways off, maybe. I've been trying to restore it since my granddad gave it to me. He must have been a good grandson. Well, he didn't have a lot of choice. I come from a long line of only children. It literally looks like the house from Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. I love that when they pull up to that big plantation house, I'd be nervous as fuck if I saw that. She goes, it's beautiful. And I wrote, she's lying. (laughs) 
This house is the most bland-looking mansion I've ever seen. It's a white box with some columns. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's a plantation house. I don't give a fuck. What an evil symbol of the old evil racist powers. Doug cooks Ben and Catherine dinner that night. They're having beers. Doug is grilling. Doug and Ben are out on the porch. And Doug notices the cross that Ben wears around his neck. And he's like, you know, that's interesting because you seem like a religious man to me. Mm -hmm. Why are you working as an assistant for a woman who makes her living debunking miracles? And this is where we get some of Ben's backstory. You know... It's easy to lose faith. I mean, look at Catherine. If an ordained minister can turn her back on God, then what hope is there for the rest of us, right? Plus, you know, I think people need to believe in miracles. Find any real ones yet? Yeah. Yeah, two semi-automatics at 10 feet. Punched my liver, my kidneys, both arms, shattered my hip. 18th Street when I was young, doing dumb stuff. He was injured in a shooting when he was young, and the way that he looks at it, God saved him from those injuries. That was his miracle. Yeah, that's why he believes. Which, in order to get personal for just one second, I completely understand why he believes that. I was in a horrible accident when I was 22. I was in the cargo hold of an ATV that hit a chuck hole in the middle of a cow pasture. And I literally flew out of the ATV, landed on my face, broke my jaw three vertebrae. I was laid up for four months. Like, I've got a Band-Aid tattoo on the back of my neck to commemorate the accident. What a horrible, horrible thing. Like, I get why someone would want to believe God saved them from horrible circumstances like that. So I respect Ben in an unexplainable way. Like, I just don't... I don't know, Carrie. You don't know what? I don't know how you can walk. I don't know how... You can talk. I, I, I literally, you could have been paralyzed for the rest of your life. But I'm not. And, but you're not. I was very, very lucky. And I know that, I mean, you. I, I'm sure you don't view it as just luck. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, we obviously neither one of us believe that God had anything to do with this, but some energy somewhere did. Yeah, something saved me. We both had very near-death experiences, very close to each other. Mm-hmm. Something was watching out for us. I don't believe it was God. I think it has everything to do with what we put out into the universe mm -hmm. coming back to save us. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. Which which is just proof in the pudding that regardless of what you believe in, you should just be a good person. Ex exactly. <laughs> it will come back to you, I promise. First wave's done. Hope everybody's hungry. Amen to that, because I'm starving. All at once, there's flies on the food that How? Doug is grilling. How can the food all of a sudden be pestilential? <laughs> pestilential. I love that. And get this. In the middle of throwing out all the food, we get a call that a farmer, whoever. What's his name? Do you have a name? Jim Wakeman. <laughs> his cattle's not doing so hot. Yeah, that's plagues three and four, right? Yeah. The flies and the death of the livestock. Mm -hmm. They drive up to that farm. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wrote, OMG, cow's mad. <laughs> You're right. As they're driving up to the farm, a bull, like the kind, like a, a male, a male cow. A male cow, the, yes. <laughs> the kind with horns. <laughs> yes. The bull attacks their Jeep, rips the door right off of it. 
They have to shoot it to get it to stop. Oh my god! But here's the thing. All the cattle are like this. They're all going half crazy and then dying from illness. These badly animated cows! (laughs) It's so bad! Yeah, you're right, because at least they didn't subject actual animals to this, right? I know, but like... They're quite obviously not there. You know what? I should give this film a break. You want to know why? Why? The 2007 of it all. (laughs) We're used to our very realistic computer graphics today in the year of our Lord, 2022. And like, there's not a lot of explanation for why these cows would be acting this way. The farmer hasn't changed their diet. They haven't been getting off the farm. They're not drinking water from the river. They get it from a well. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we're running out of explanations for why all this is happening. Cut to Ben with the handheld video camera being like, Catherine, how are you not seeing this? (laughs) This is getting a little hard to ignore. (laughs) This is getting a little hard to ignore, Catherine. We're four for four, chapter and a verse. And I mean actual verse. Blood, frogs, flies, dead livestock. These cows aren't dead. No, not yet, but from where I'm standing, it looks pretty damn serious. This is where Catherine lays it all down for us. (laughs) She's like, it's not the same, bro. (laughs) Like, this is a long clip, but I'm going to let her explain why she believes that the plagues of Exodus have completely scientific explanations. You want to talk plagues? Let's talk plagues. (laughs) In 1400 BC, a group of nervous Egyptians saw the Nile turn red. But what they thought was blood was actually an algae bloom, which killed the fish, which prior to that had been living off the eggs of frogs. Those uneaten eggs turned into record numbers of baby frogs who subsequently fled to the land and died. Their little rotting frog bodies attracted lice and flies. The lice carried the blue tongue virus, which killed 70% of Egypt's livestock. The flies carried glanders, a bacterial infection which in humans causes boils. Soon afterwards, the Nile River Valley was hit with a three-day sandstorm, otherwise known as the Plague of Darkness. During a sandstorm, intense heat can combine with an approaching cold front to create not only hail, but also electrical storms, which would have looked to the ancient Egyptians like fire from the sky. The subsequent wind would have blown the Ethiopian locust population off course and right into downtown Cairo. Hail is wet, locust leave droppings spread both on your brain and you've got mycotoxins. Dinner time in ancient Egypt meant the firstborn child got the biggest portion, which in this case meant he ate the most toxins, so he died. 10 plagues, 10 scientific explanations. It makes so much sense, Ross. Ten plagues, ten completely scientific explanations. Like, that's, remember last week when you were like, if Carrie had a time machine, she'd go right to the plagues. Oh, yeah, I know. Because I, I really do. Take Swanky with you. I really, <laughs> I really want to take Hillary Swank with me <laughs> and find out how this all happened. It's ridiculous. Everyone thinks the McConnell family is to blame for all of this bullshit. Oh, yeah, especially the mayor. The mayor especially is like, why aren't you people doing something about these weird people who live in the woods? There's something unnatural going on out there. Why haven't you arrested 12-year-old Lauren McConnell for what she's obviously done? You want to know why? Why? Because they'll arrest her and she'll just break out. Because she's got the power of God and or Satan on her side? Exactly. Uh. We have this weird sequence back at the plantation. It's like 
She's in bed in the middle of the night. Carrie Ann loves swanky in this outfit. <laughs> I do. The white tank top with the long white skirt. I mean, hey, the all white. I know. The symbolism. Uh, I know. The symbolism is there. How angelic, right? Yeah. She's laying in bed looking at slides of cattle samples and the power just voom, goes out. Also, the way the rest of the house is like lit with candles Uh, and the wind is blowing through every window. uh, There's lightning and thunder outside, but no rain. Yeah. And she's walking all throughout this creepy fucking house. She goes into Doug's bedroom where there is light ragtime playing on a gramophone. (laughs) On a gramophone? (laughs) What year is this? And like it's out on the balcony and it starts skipping. I don't like the skipping. Oh, I know. It's like I'm in a haunted house. <laughs> and like everything is situated like he's getting ready to fuck. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, huh? And then she sees somebody out in the brush away from the house. It's probably Doug. It is Doug. <laughs> no, yeah. She goes all the way out there and it's a little like secluded like graveyard. Yeah, lots of plantations had private graveyards, not only for the family, but for the enslaved people who died there. Yeah. And the same is true for Doug. He used to have a wife who died from cancer. She's buried out here. Mm-hmm. I think her name was Sam. Sam, that's right. Samantha. And so she's gone. She's out here. He's literally drinking over his wife's grave. Yeah, how sad. The power's out. I didn't mean to disturb you. It's probably the breaker. I'll flip it. It's okay, really. Take your time. At least let me buy you a drink. He offers her a bottle. Mm. Uh, We'll come back to it. (laughs) We'll come back to it. Put a pin in it. She tries it. Doesn't like it very well. Doesn't taste very good, does it? No. No, but she drinks it anyway to be polite. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where they start talking about uh, their own horror stories. Catherine tells him about her daughter, Sarah, and her husband, David, and how they were both murdered in the Sudan. Because they went there on mission work, right? And they they had a... She was like, I had to drag my family out there because I had a purpose and I had intentions and I had a mission. We got there and it didn't rain for a whole year. Yeah, there was a massive drought. And the people there blamed it on them Mm -hmm. as missionaries. Yeah. As if their presence there stopped the rain. The crops died. Animals died. People died. And they blamed us. My family was murdered as a sacrifice to God. first night I stopped praying was the first night I slept. Damn. I know. Because she can't handle the fact that a loving God would allow her family to die in that horrible way for what amounts to no reason. Remember signs? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Mel Gibson lost his faith. I mean, hell, it's Mel Gibson. I don't care. (laughs) But... No, her husband and child were murdered because of what she feels like is her, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, God, Ross, do you know what I have in all capital letters? What? Why do we have a sex scene in the middle of this movie? I wrote, oh, they fucking. <laughs> because, like, it's like all of these flashes, and I'm like, 
mm, it's definitely Doug and her getting busy because they have that moment before it cuts to this vision sequence or whatever where they almost kiss. Yeah, and like we're just getting way too many shots of Hillary Swank's sweaty navel, and I'm like, oh, stop it! If Hillary Swank is in it, the producers want her sexy. I know they they, they want her to be having sex or doing sexual activity. Remember in Iron Jot Angels where they couldn't wait to get her in the tub? <laughs> yes, they had her in a tub like twice. <laughs> Jacking off to Patrick Dempsey. Jack off to the vote. Don't jack off to Patrick Dempsey. Jack off to suffrage. (laughs) Jack off to the vote. Oh, Hillary, I'm so sorry. Don't jack off to discount Liam Neeson. (laughs) And like she wakes up the next morning and she's not even sure that that encounter happened. Oh, no, she's convinced it was a dream. Because she also had a dream that night where she remembers her husband and daughter being killed. And there's that heartbreaking shot that will come back to haunt us, where she's approaching her daughter, Sarah. Sarah's so little. Sarah's like nine or ten at the most. Hey, I'm so lucky. How come? Because, silly, God gave me you. Uh, Oh, uh, my God. Awful. It's going to come back to hurt us, guys. It will. Okay, Ross wants to talk about the bloody egg she has for breakfast. Blood egg for breakfast. Because it will eventually become relevant, I'm sorry to say. She goes to make herself some eggs in the morning, and things are a little uh, moving on their own. (laughs) (laughs) She cracks that egg in that pan, and it's blood red. Yeah. And I'm like... It's full of blood, and then all the other eggs start exploding. And the pan is flying off the stove. And she's like, God, I just want peace. (laughs) (laughs) Explain that away, Catherine. Absolutely. (laughs) Cut to Ben showing Doug video files of samples of bovine cells. He needs to keep his shirt off. Uh, Idris Elba? How how dare he wear a shirt? (laughs) He's putting on a shirt when he's explaining it to him. I'm like, no, you can keep that off. (laughs) It's fine. It's hot down here. It's Louisiana. (laughs) In fact, everyone take your shirt off. (laughs) Morsi, you can. Swanky, you too. That is a healthy bovine cell. Strong walls, good color. And then comes Fisteria. And that's from the Wigman's cattle? No, that's just it. But this, this is. Well, that looks fine to me. Yeah, it is. Biologically, there's nothing wrong with those cows. All the flies, all the frogs, all the fish. Their cells come up healthy on the microscope. Didn't we also determine that the river is pure blood? Didn't we get that test back? Yeah, the river is actually blood. Mm. Like, this is real. This is happening. Chapter and verse, like Ben says. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, Catherine has taken it upon herself to go alone out to the McConnell farm where Lauren lives with her mother and formerly her brother, And this house, this house is empty. It's like there's no one living there. The place is dirty. There's rotting food on plates in the dining room. Dirty clothes everywhere. Dishes in the sink. Like whoever's living there is not present. No. And Catherine can see that there are blood drops leading to a wall. And so she's trying to find what is obviously a hidden door. There's this symbol scratched into the threshold that's exactly 
like the upside-down sickle symbol that Father Costigan warned her about. To quote Maniac, the pattern is the pattern. Oh, God! (laughs) And then all of the sudden, little Lauren McConnell shows up out of nowhere. Where is your mother? Yeah. And, like, Catherine notices that Lauren has blood trails leading from under her dress, like running down her leg. She's having her period. Oh, no, not the monthly woe. And, like, no one has explained this to her. (laughs) It's so Carrie! That's your body's way of telling you that... (sighs) Oh, that's her becoming a woman. (sighs) Yeah, it kind of freaked me out, too. And Catherine is trying to clean her up. And the moment that she touches Lauren's leg with that wet washcloth, she is suddenly in a flashback. No, that's the thing. It's why I call her the flashback kid. Anytime Catherine gets around this little girl, she starts having visions of the past. Yeah, she is seeing Lauren's brother's Brody's death through Lauren's eyes because Lauren was there when it happened. Mm-hmm. Lauren! Like, from the flashback, it really looks like Brody stabbed Lauren with this big ceremonial knife. Yes. And then the moment he does, he falls over dead in the river. Yeah. Like, something is protecting Lauren. Mm -hmm. And it's just so intense. And when Catherine comes out of that flashback, Lauren is just gone. Nowhere. She, She just dobbied out. Goodbye. She wasn't here. Catherine goes back into the house looking for Lauren. She's like, where the hell did she go? And then, almost as if she came out of a back room, Lauren's mother shows up. And like, this woman, I don't know the extent of what this woman has been through, but she is, she is not all there. No, no. Mm-mm. She's been traumatized by something. Like, there's someone home, but there are other people over to play. Oh my God! <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes! <laughs> are you... Gonna kill my baby girl. What? No. Why not? (laughs) The way Kate's like, what? (laughs) No. And then the mom's like, why not? Oh, oh, what? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) What the fuck is going on in the bayou? Girl, priorities. Like, (laughs) Catherine tries to ask her questions about how her son died, and she won't give a real answer. And, like, before she can, Lauren is on her like white on rice out of nowhere. So. She just peels Lauren off of her, and Mrs. McConnell throws Catherine out. Sometimes you just gotta commit matricide, you know? Like, you know what's funny? Matricide to me, the term sounds like you're murdering a mattress. (laughs) I know it's because of the term matriarch, but you know. I mean, I know I murder my mattress at the end of a long night. You were gonna say murder your matriarch, and I'm like, no, not Julie! (laughs) No, Mom! Sorry, Mom! Never, Mom! No. We we love you! (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, guys, guess what? What? The fifth plague has arrived. Here we fucking go. The children of Haven have been hit with a lice outbreak. When they burst into... Is it the, the school that they're all at? It could be the school. It could be the town hall. It could be both. When they burst in there and all the adults of the town are looking at her like she's the problem. Mm-hmm. She are looking at her like, why aren't you seeing this? Like... Like all the kids are getting their heads shaved. Yeah. And crying mm-hmm. because they're losing their hair. And like the, the mayor and the townspeople are getting restless because we're officially more than halfway through the biblical exodus plays yes there's some bad shit on the horizon if they can't make this stop and so we go to the coroner's office to view the corpse of lauren's deceased older brother brody oh and it's a sight isn't it this is brody mcconnell Funeral home backs up Cade. Three days ago, he was in perfect condition. Cause of death unknown. Yeah, it's gonna stay that way. I mean, we're already in the dry stages of decomp here. You don't see this on a body until they're like one or two years in the grave. Looking a little rough for four days post-mortem. He's fully mummified. He has a mark on the base of his spine that looks just like the upside-down sickle that Catherine found on the rear of the McConnell's pantry. The pattern's the pattern. The pattern's the pattern. (laughs) And immediately, I love Catherine. Immediately, she's like, call the FBI, shut down this cult. Yeah, no, it's it, I, th- there's something going on in the bayou. Like, this family is obviously doing something whack. And, like, Catherine, devoid of all other options, calls Father Costigan. She's like, listen, there's some shit going down here, and I don't have answers. <laughs> I actually don't have my scientific answers that I like so much. I need to know what to do before this little girl is murdered. The symbol you've seen is part of a prophecy that predates Christ which tells of an ancient satanic sect. Their firstborn are branded and left unharmed to carry on the genetic line. But all of the secondborn thereafter are to be sacrificed. And Father Costigan claims that Catherine has been marked as part of a prophecy. Oh God, here's another fucking prophecy. A message from the Lord. Like, <laughs> come on. An ancient satanic sect where the firstborn are marked and left unharmed, leading to the subsequent children being sacrificed, which is a direct inverse of the Exodus story, by the way. In Exodus, it's the firstborn children who die, right? Not the secondborn. <laughs> Satan's like, turn that cross upside down! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> For all their sacrifice, they shall reap a perfect child. A second upon coming into adulthood shall be reborn with the eyes of Satan. So you're saying this girl is the one they've been trying to create? Yes. A child in Satan's image. But what does any of this have to do with plagues? Lucifer has often turned God's weapons against the righteous. He's protecting the girl. Lauren is allegedly turning God's instrument of plagues against the righteous so Satan can rise up in her image. She's 12. (laughs) Or something, right? Like Satan does have the power to assume a pleasing shape. Okay. I know. That's just what anybody else would say, right? Uh... Costigan also prophesizes that Catherine 
is an angel set forth by God to rid this community of this satanic cult before Lauren can exact devastation on the world. Exact it, Lauren. Fuck these people. (laughs) Like, listen, you and I know what happens at the end of this movie. This is some foolishness. (laughs) This is actually ridiculous. Here's the other thing. Father Costigan just burns up in a monastery fire. Why is this affecting him? I, I don't, why is he being sent all of these messages and visions? I don't know why. I really don't know why. But is this God being like, hey, you better tell her. Uh-huh. Is that what is going on? I think so. And then in that same moment, Satan's like, oh, he knows too much. Burn his ass. Yeah, all the pictures of Catherine completely become embroiled in flames. to death, locked in his room in the monastery. And the town has boils. <laughs> oh yeah, while all this is happening, Ben and Doug find the entire town council has succumbed to boils, which is the sixth plague, right? No more law. No more law. <laughs> the mayor is dead, the entire town council is dead, except for Doug. This is the last straw, or more like the sixth. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, the entire town is ready to get their guns and go out into the swamp and lynch this 12-year-old girl for what she's done to this community. And Doug is trying to stop them, but no one will hear it. The sheriff is involved, for God's sake. The sheriff's literally just like, you gotta do what you gotta do. Oh my God! And I'm like... You don't have to kill a 12-year-old girl! Catherine goes back to the McConnell house to investigate the pantry where she found the sickle symbol. And I don't remember how she does it, but she finds a secret room, which leads down into the basement of the McConnell home. Ah! No, Ross hates this. Ah! There's a table down there Uh. with restraints on it that has the qualities of an autopsy table. And when I say that, I mean there's holes in the table to allow blood flow to drain through it, and presumably to be consumed by the members of this cult. It's so fucking horrible. Jesus said, this is my body. Eat me. No. Drink me blood. This is not what Jesus meant. No. Lauren's mother is also down here. And Ross, I'm so sorry, but we have to deal with this. Trigger warning. Trigger warning, literally. Mrs. McConnell is down here, and she's just huddled in the corner, like almost in a fetal position. I hope she's scared to death. I hope she's scared too, I Ross. I hope she's terrified. I hope she's terrified. And she has a gun. No. I failed. I failed too. I imagine there's something after Puts that pistol right in her mouth and pulls the trigger. Oh my god. It's horrible, but like, I mean, given what she did to her kid... I don't care. I don't care either! Bye! Exit a stage left! Yeah. (laughs) 
You are fired. I've been waiting to use that for 90 minutes. You're fired? Suicide's not we funny. We can't just call trigger warning and then turn it into a joke. No, you're right. I, I, oh God. <laughs> Sorry. No. I, I just don't give a fuck about her pain you're, or what happens to her. You're right. Ding dong, the posse is here. Like, the sheriff and all the townspeople are literally outside the McConnell home to kill Lauren. Ah, oh, but that lucky number seven. Oh, it's lucky, isn't it? Oh, God. Catherine's going towards the front door to meet them. And all of a sudden, all of the windows are darkened by all of these locusts landing on all surfaces of the house. like to talk about something real quick here. Okay, go ahead. Locusts are obviously different, but when I was a child, you know how you have irrational fears sometimes when you're a kid? Yeah. And we've talked about a couple of my irrational fears on this podcast, haven't we? Remember when I brought up the Brady Bunch <laughs> and we talked about my irrational fear of the Brady Bunch? Yes. Well, I had another irrational fear as a child. Grasshoppers. Grasshopper <laughs> landed on my leg once. And it traumatized me so bad to where I was having nightmares of being engulfed by grasshoppers. It kind of triggered me a little bit with the locusts. Yeah, because locusts are very similar in structure and in behavior to grasshoppers. Um, And they can fly. Yeah, and they can fly. The way they're just calmly sitting on every surface. Yeah, they're not moving. Everything's very calm. And then Lauren's out front, right? Yeah. And she... <laughs> It's like she, it's like she tilts her head a little bit as if to go, "Come on, let's go." And then those locusts are like, "Okay, queen." <laughs> Go off! Get in, loser. We're going plaguing. Oh, like, no! And yeah, those locusts pretty much devour those men. I didn't know that locusts had teeth. Yeah, they'll eat you. Oh, God! Like if you... Uh, <laughs> no. Lauren is in the middle of this entire swarm, and it looks like she's controlling it. Like the locusts are biting everybody in the posse, overwhelming them, killing all of them. Everybody tries to get away from the swarm. Like, I love Doug. Doug literally dunks himself in the bayou yes. to get away from the locusts. And Ben ends up back at the ruins of Old Haven where Doug took Catherine before, and he shut himself in this crypt, right, to get away from the bugs. Uh -huh. And he's on the walkie-talkie with Catherine. Catherine. Are you okay? Where are you? I'm in some sort of a crypt. By the ruins. We're stuck. You're still out there. I'm so sorry. I was so wrong. Catherine, look. Forget about it. Just get out of here before the final three plagues. He's walking down the stairs of this crypt, and he goes into this second chamber where Ross... Ross, I blocked this part of it out. He goes down into that second chamber, and there are fresh bodies of young children. Oh, maybe with all their heads shaved? Uh, yeah, decomposing in this crypt. And I, I just... What the fuck? And Ben tells her that Lauren is right outside the crypt, 
coming for him. Captain. Ben. He's outside. I'm trapped. Hey, I gotta find him. I gotta find another way out of here. Ben. And then the walkie-talkie goes dark. Catherine doesn't hear from Ben again. She goes outside the McConnell home, and the locusts are still around, but none of them are harming her. It's like she's protected by something. <laughs> like hated in the nation. Facial recognition. It's got to be facial recognition. <laughs> we were in the room too, and they only went for her. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, we'll talk about Black Mirror one day. TGC Blue Coulson. <laughs> I'm your shadow. Catherine goes to the crypt. And she goes down in there, and she finds Ben dead on the floor. Not Ben! You were so hot, bro! <laughs> so hot and so lovely. A true believer! Like, oh my god. god. And this is where Doug finds her again. He's been hiding in the swamp. He's, like, covered in blood. It's really creepy. Catherine says, you know what? This is it. I believe now. Yeah, no, I'm... <laughs> I, what would you do at that point, you know? Like, I mean, yeah, you'd probably be having that fear in you. What are we gonna do? You stay here. She trusts me. I have to end this. She's like, I have to do this. I have to end this. Meaning that she has to kill Lauren and stop these plagues before the last one gets here. Because remember, the last plague is the death of the firstborn. Like, we're going to have a lot of people dead if she doesn't stop this now. And she goes outside. She's got this big ceremonial knife tucked into the back of her belt. And she goes outside, and all at once... The plague of darkness falls. Oh, there it is. Like it was the middle of the day two seconds ago. Now it's nighttime. Here we go. Number eight, plague of darkness. Oh, God. <laughs> it gets so dramatic so fast. When the lights go down and the orchestra starts playing. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I mean like when you're at a show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Not in the movie. <laughs> and then the firestorm starts. Number nine. <laughs> Number nine. We're getting nine to five. Okay, no, we're getting off. <laughs> we're getting off on a tangent. And like Catherine is seeing little Lauren in the middle of the ruins, completely unfazed by the plagues that are happening around here. She's a little kid. Yeah, I bet that in this moment, Catherine is thinking more like, oh God, you're probably innocent. You probably have no idea what's happening to you. And I'm going to have to kill you. And that's really awful for me. Yeah. And for you. Because then you're no longer living. You probably didn't ask to be possessed by Satan. Right. You know, and she's like, oh God, but I have to do this, right? Yeah. Or else everything's going to go really, really badly. Like Lauren reminds her so much of her own daughter. Like, how could you even begin to kill a child when you've lost one of your own? When she's like, it's okay. And she's like getting close to her. And like, she grabs for that knife that's in her belt. I love the shot of Lauren glancing down right before she grabs her. Like, she knows. She can sense it. And Catherine. 
Catherine puts her on the ground, raises that dagger, and then, yes, the flashback kid strikes again. Oh, no. She says the thing that Catherine's daughter said to her. I'm so lucky. Why? Because, silly. God gave me you. God gave me you. How do I know? How do I know it's real? Hate that. <laughs> Wrong. Absolutely hate that. How do I know what's real? Faith? No, 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 no. That's literally the anti-answer to that. No, faith is belief without evidence, right? Here, ask me. How do I know that it's real? No, you got to ask it cinematically. How do I know that it's real? Evidence. <laughs> but that's the opposite of faith. Uh, yeah, it really is. Faith is belief without evidence. And we literally have evidence falling from the sky. I know. Okay, <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Still believe in her scientific explanation of the Egyptian plagues. No, yeah, uh, yeah. Throughout this Regardless in- of the bad CGI that's happening here. <laughs> so you guessed it. Catherine touches her, and once again we're in flashback. And this is where we learn Lauren is not the devil child at all. At the height of their power, God shall send forth an angel to destroy them. She is a second-born child. The cult attempted to sacrifice as part of their prophecy, right? Remember, Brody, her older brother, he was the firstborn. Yes. He's the one with the mark of the sickle on him. Yes. And the cult was trying to sacrifice Lauren the day that Brody died. Lauren breaks away from the ceremony, runs out into the swamp, and Brother Brody goes after her. And when Brody finally caught up with her at the river, he tried to stab her. And when he did, the wound that he made vanished instantly. And then Brody became mummified in that instant. And then when Brody falls into the river, the river turns red. Also... Can we talk about whose face we get a flash of in this flashback? Oh, talk to me. It's fucking Liam Neeson! Oh! It's it's Daniel, David! (laughs) What's his name, Carrie? Doug. Doug! (laughs) It's Doug Blackwell! Doug was present at the sacrifice. Oh! And he's been discounting all this McConnell shit as rumor, and he was there! No, that's the thing. That's when Catherine and us as an audience realize that Doug and this entire town have been part of the satanic cult all along. Remember when they first got here and Catherine asked Isabel, what's the gender of the child you're having? Oh, it don't matter to me. It don't matter to me because she already had one kid. Yeah, and she's going to kill it. She's going to kill the second boy. Oh my God! Yeah, I... And, like, Doug is pleading with her. She's perverting your faith through lies now. You cannot believe anything this child says. Now, please, you kill her. I'm a firstborn. And you know what plague comes next. Their firstborn are branded and left unharmed to carry on the genetic line. I come from a long line of only children. It's number two for the both of us. You know what you're having? No, heck, doesn't matter to me. Are you going to kill my baby girl? No. 
you deceived me so that I would murder her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he did. Like, mm. He was hoping that you'd be sympathetic because you lost your faith just like they did. And, like, that's where we also realize that Doug killed Ben. Oh, some sexy on sexy crime right there. Stop! Sorry. You deceived me so I would murder her. This innocent child. She's not innocent, Catherine. Look what she's done already. You've seen it with your own eyes. You killed Ben. So I would blame her. All of a sudden, all of the townspeople are showing up, speaking in tongues, and Doug tells her, God did nothing but punish us with hurricanes, and my family introduced them to the true Lord, Satan. I'm sorry. It's a little ridiculous that here at the last moment we're supposed to believe as the audience that they all turned on a dime for Satan. Like, I mean, hey, when you're hit with that many natural disasters in that short amount of time, I would believe that God wasn't looking out for me or my community. But I also agree with you that doing a 180 and following Satan is a little bit drastic. We didn't get enough from the town. <laughs> no, we didn't. I'm sorry. And like, here's the thing. Doug picked Catherine specifically to come fix this because only... A servant of God can kill his angel, right? Yeah, and she was the ex-minister, yeah. Yeah, she was the one who lost her family, the one who lost her faith. You remember what your God did to you in the Sudan? What about your daughter, huh? Now that... That is your God. That's not God. God didn't kill my family. A week godless man filled with fear and hatred. A man like you. There's still that last plague, Doug. The death of the firstborn. There's still that last plague, Doug. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love of- that. <laughs> <laughs> I and then the firestorm. Remember at the end of Prince of Egypt when God sent like a fire NATO down? Indeed, indeed. He does the same thing here. Doug puts that knife to Catherine's throat and claims he's going to kill her. And then the fire NATO comes down and envelops them both and picks them up and carries them into the sky. And God, Catherine, in this moment when she thinks she's about to die... Catherine's trying to comfort Lauren. Now you tell her to stop, or you die too. Lauren! Don't be scared. It's God's will. God takes Catherine and Doug up in the column of fire, and God destroys Doug in the firenado. He literally explodes. There's nothing left. He also fireballs every other person in the town. Yeah, all the other firstborns. Because they're all firstborns. They're all firstborns and all of their siblings have been sacrificed, right? So they're all that's left. The entire town gets eviscerated. After all of that, Catherine just comes to on the ground. Her and Lauren are fine. 
She takes Lauren into her arms. That's where there's the weird shot of it panning into the dirt for no reason. Yeah, I know. And then we're just in the car. Yeah, she puts Lauren in her SUV and they're driving away from Haven. And she's just like, I'm going to take care of you from now on. It's just me and you. Are you going to tell the state, Catherine? (laughs) Are you going to tell anyone who has executive powers? Are you going to let people know about what the fuck happened in Haven Parish? Like, Like, are you going to call Ben's mother? Like, what the fuck? The Reaping 2. What the fuck? I know. Where the rest of the country gets embroiled. And, like, they're literally in the car driving away from Haven. It's just the two of us. It's just the two of us. Lauren's got her head on Catherine's lap, and Lauren says, What about the boy? My boy. The boy inside you. Your baby. I can hear it. We'll have to take care of him, too. Guys, this is where I become a little angry. Yeah. Because remember the unnecessary sex scene we had? Remember the bottle that she drank out of in the cemetery? Doug drugged her. And raped her. And raped her. And guys, that's the thing. Catherine has been impregnated with the Antichrist. The baby. I can hear him. We'll have to take care of him too. Guys, the egg. The bloody egg yeah. that she cracked open the morning after that happened? <laughs> Satan sent her a sign. Oh my god! And like, here's the thing, here's the thing. The prophecy spoke of a child made in Satan's image. They thought it was Lauren. Lauren was actually the angel. Yes, she was. Not Catherine. Catherine is the one carrying the child in Satan's image. For all their sacrifice, they shall reap a perfect child. Please let me buy you a drink. A second born who upon coming into adulthood shall be reborn with the eyes of Satan. It's so Rosemary's baby! She is fulfilling the prophecy now. (laughs) Oh no! And like we just go out on Catherine's horrified stare out onto the road as she realizes she's ushering in the end times. You know what the worst part of this is? What? They're in Louisiana. Abortion is frowned upon. Oh no! (laughs) Get thee to another state, Catherine! Just not Texas. Oh, you know what the thing is, though? I bet if she did try to have an abortion, it wouldn't work. Because it's Satan! I I bet Satan would use the power of Lauren to just, well, wouldn't Lauren be a demon then? I don't know. Not an angel. See, it's confusing. You don't understand (laughs) who's on top. I don't understand if God or Satan is more powerful in this narrative. It's because she's supposed to be the angel? It's not clear. It's not. Carrie, Chad, it's not clear. Steve, it's not clear. This movie's silly. (laughs) I'm not unsympathetic. To your criticisms. We were mostly here for the scientific explanation of the plagues. Like, I feel like we talked about this movie for that one minute clip. Really, we really did. Because you and I are very facts, fact and evidence driven people. And even though we've been covering Bible stories this month and biblical content, which has been turned gay by musicals. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to wonder about, isn't there? There is a lot to wonder about. I understand that people need... A reason. People need to feel like our existence isn't random. But here's the thing, folks. It kind of is. And hey, here's the thing. That might be by God's design. For all we know, right? 
No. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, I mean, it <laughs> might be. I, I, we don't know what happens beyond death, but I can pretty safely say that our energy is translated into other parts of the planet. Right. And I really don't think we're going to heaven. I really don't think we're going to hell. I do believe in other planes. I believe in other planes of energy. I believe in the void. Right. I believe in the void and I believe in the veil. We are in the veil. Uh-huh. That's V-A-L-E. Oh, okay. Not V-E-I-L. Right. There not... is a veil separating the veil from the void. You know, that thing that killed Sirius Black? Yeah, the thing that killed Sirius Black. Yeah, that's a veil. <laughs> Seriously. He went to the void. He just, nope, negated. Yeah. He is negative energy now. <sighs> Poor Sirius, you were so fine. That's a different project. <laughs> yeah, it Try is. Try to stay on topic. But, but the thing is, like... I, 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 mm. Here's the thing. I know that no matter what you believe in, God did not mean for us to kill 12-year-olds. Yeah. And, like, that's what it comes back to about this movie for me. This was the first... I know this sounds stupid. I know how stupid this sounds. But this was the first movie where I intellectualized, oh, wait, man really can manipulate the scripture for their own horrible needs. Yeah, yeah. Like, and just... ah. It just makes me so crazy because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But you're going to kill children over this? You're going to kill gay people over this? Like you're going to justify war over this? If you want to believe that God is the energy that's driving you forward, fine. Don't commit genocide. For real. Don't give God's power to the government and commit genocide. (laughs) Your crusades bring nothing but negative energy. (laughs) Which just goes right back to the void. So there you go. Exactly. That's what Satan wanted all along. You want to go to the void? You want to do that? Let's just vacation in the void. Uh, (laughs) That part in Family Guy where they're like, remember that time you went to purgatory? And it's just them floating (laughs) around in a white blank space. This isn't bad. It's not good, but it's it's not not bad. bad. (laughs) It's so-so. All right, I'm hot. Let's get out of here. Aren't you glad we're done with Bible stories? A little, but also I'm sad that we won't get to talk about any of those musical projects again. I mean, yeah, it wasn't as fun this week, but I'm glad that we revisited some some stories from childhood, some projects from childhood. I got, I'm glad I got to relearn some things because, oh, as Tiffany Doggett says in Orange is the New Black, I've been rereading my Bible and there is so much helpful stuff in the Bible because there is. All right, guys, I'll be perfectly honest. We don't know what we're covering next week. Maybe we do just a little bit of a popcorn, a potpourri when it comes to May. Like, that's certainly what it's looking like. Well, we do know one thing we're going to have to do. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. It's going to be a surprise. It's it's going to be a surprise what we cover next week. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to give you the normal things on our way out here. You know, 
Follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. Don't forget, folks, please go over to the Patreon and check out what we've got for just $5. You can see all of our uh, bonus content. We've got Golden Girls content. We've got VeggieTales content coming up. Mm-hmm. We've got unreleased bonus outtakes. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be great. Become a little onion at the five. We love you guys. We do. We want you to come and join our little watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry God. God. <laughs> thank God that's the last time we have to do that. I know. Oh, hey, literally, thank God. <laughs> <laughs>